The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts. This is 74 Seconds. I'm Tracy Mumford. I'm here with Reham Fashir. Reham, we're in day five of the Geronimo Yanez trial. Uh, he's the officer who shot and killed Philando Castile during a traffic stop last July. So after a week of jury selection, the trial got off to a really fast start today. Yeah, it did. The final jury was chosen. The prosecution and the defense made their opening statements. And Diamond Reynolds was called to the stand. This was a huge day. Yeah, a lot happened today. So let's just talk really quickly about the final jury and who is sitting on it. Well, after they narrowed it down to 23, they began striking jurors. The defense first wanted to get rid of an 18-year-old Ethiopian-American woman who said she didn't know a lot about the criminal justice system, but that she could follow and understand the rules of the trial. The state challenged that strike and asked the defense to provide a non-racial reason. We talked about this last episode. Uh, The defense then argued that she wouldn't be able to understand a very complicated case and therefore she wouldn't contribute to jury deliberation. The judge didn't buy it. He trusted her abilities. He said some of the others in the panel had similar answers to the questionnaires about the American criminal justice system. And he kept her in the pool. So that's the only juror that we know there was an issue with the challenge over. The rest of their peremptory strikes were approved by the judge and by both sides without any other issues. Yes. So this group of 15 members, there is nine men and six women, two black jurors. And so of those 15, three of them are alternates, but they won't know that until they're actually, it's actually time to deliberate. No, they don't know that yet. So it, there still is a potential that it could be an all-white jury. It's possible, but we don't know that yet, and we won't know until the end. So the jury then got instructions from the judge. Anything noteworthy in what the judge instructed them to do for this trial? Well, they were told they can't watch any news about this case. They can't read anything. They can't post on social media. Um, They were given the basic definition of the law, the culpable negligence and the second degree manslaughter law, that they would have to consider what unreasonable risk is when deliberating this case. And the judge also emphasized that Yanez is innocent until proven guilty. But they're not going to be sequestered for the course of the trial. Not that we know of, no. They just have been asked not to consume any media related to the case. Yep. All right. So we also have John Collins here with us. You've also been in the courtroom today. Uh, The jury, they got selected, they got their instructions, and then the prosecution made their opening statements. And part of those opening statements were actually playing the dash cam footage from Officer Geronimo Yanez's car on the night of July 6th, the night that he shot Philando Castile. I was not expecting for this tape to be played so soon in this trial. We weren't expecting this either. Uh, It was crazy to see it right away on the first real day where the jury was seated. We thought maybe the prosecution would mention the existence of the tape and some of what happened, but we didn't expect them to show it, especially right away. Well, and this is tape of the 74 seconds, which we have been talking about for episodes after episodes. It's something that we've seen parts of transcripts of, but we've never 
actually seen or heard it and you were there in the courtroom for them. What what did you see when they finally played it? Well, it's a squad camera, so it's not the best quality video necessarily, but it shows uh, Officer Yanez from his perspective um, following Castile down Larpenter Avenue, down the street, pulling him over. And it really reinforces exactly how quickly this went from a casual traffic stop to Yanez pulling his gun out and shooting um, because it, it shows Yanez walk out of the car, have a quick dialogue back and forth, which we heard on the microphone, and then start shooting. And it happened really, really fast. And it was really shocking to watch in this room that was crowded with reporters, family members from both sides, and, you know, many people from the public who are just interested in the case or who may be activists. I noticed that a couple of the jurors in front looked shaken as soon as the lights came up. One woman had half her face covered in her hand. So it was a really powerful thing to start out this trial with. And Philando Castile's mother was in the courtroom to watch this video as well, right? She was, and there were quite a few other family members in there as well. And the Castiles, uh, they watched it. They were very composed. But it must have been a hard thing to watch. So this is dash cam footage, like you mentioned, uh, and it's from Yanez's car, which is parked behind Philando Castile's white Oldsmobile. So what can you actually see that's happening in this video? So you can see is uh, the initial traffic stop, and then you see Yanez walk out of the car. You see him uh, engage with Castile, and you see his partner, Joseph Kauser, uh, walk along the side of the car. So that's The what other you can side see. of the car, right? The other side of the car. And you can't see inside the car necessarily. So it doesn't give us any more details about what Philando Castile was doing that night because you really just can't see him in the car, right? You can only hear him picked up on Giannis's microphone. Previous to this, we've only read transcripts of what Castile and Giannis said, which were provided by the county attorney during the criminal complaint. But this was really the first time that we've heard Philando Castile's voice. Um, yeah, ever. You, we still haven't heard it before this, right? Was this the first time that you have heard his voice? This was the first time. And the first thing you hear him say after he greets the officer is, uh, sir, I have to tell you, I have a firearm. So after court let out, uh, we caught up with Danny Givens. You'll remember him as the Black Lives Matter activist uh, that you've heard about earlier in this podcast. And he was in the courtroom watching this video, too. Seeing the dash cam video uh, was horrific. It was horrific. The most, the, the most horrific 74 seconds I've ever watched in my life. Three seconds after Philando handed over his license and registration, he was shot seven times. Okay, so the prosecution played this dash cam footage as part of their opening statement. What else did they cover in their statements? Uh, let's walk through them and then get to the defense. Yeah, the central point that they provided today was that Yana's was negligent. And they, they said, they opened up with this, this statement, is that Yana's has a badge and with that badge comes authority but also responsibility. And in this case, he was negligent in providing that responsibility that comes with the badge. What else did they get to in their opening statements? They also reminded the jury that they're going to hear things about Castile having marijuana in his system, but that doesn't change the fact that he was licensed to carry a gun and that he had gone through the training to get that permit. The prosecutor emphasized that Yanez did not say freeze. He didn't say put your hands up when he, heard, when he heard the word firearm. We were told today by the prosecutor that five of the seven shots that Yanez fired hit Castile. Two of them went into his heart. And even after he was shot in his heart, his last words were, I wasn't reaching for it. 
Okay, so that's the prosecution opening their case, uh, coming out with a really bold move of playing the squad cam video on the first moment with their opening arguments. What did we hear from the defense when they made their opening arguments, John? The defense started out by listing all of uh, Officer Yanez's family that were in the room at the time. And there were quite a few this time, more than we've seen in earlier hearings. Um, And then they got into their central point that Philando Castile did not follow commands from the officer. They say that one of the commands was when Yanez told Castile, okay, don't reach for it. They say that's a command and that uh, Officer Yanez is an authority figure and that his command should have been followed. So that's what this is going to hinge on, right? Whether Philando Castile, the jury thinks he was following commands or not following commands, that's the defense argument? That's a big part of it, but they're also going to test have Yanez testify about the fear he felt that day, the fear for his life. And... They're going to say that he saw Philando Castile with his hand on his pistol grip. Have we heard that before? That feels like a new piece of information that he actually saw him with his hand on the gun. Initially, we didn't hear that he had seen any sort of gun. Later in the process, his lawyer said he saw a gun. But this is the first time that we heard that uh, they're going to say that he had his hand on the pistol grip. Okay, and then they got into some of his training in the courtroom today, too. That is going to be a central part of this case as well. Their argument about training is that Yanez did exactly what he was trained to do. They're arguing that he was trained to be sure that he goes home at the end of the night. Trained to be sure he goes home at the end of the night. What does that mean? They're saying that a lot of his training told him that if he saw a gun in someone's hand, that it was already too late. So he needed to take proactive action. So from his perspective, he saw a gun, it was in someone's hand, and he did what he was trained to do? That's what their argument is. They also say he was taught to fire his gun as many times as necessary to get rid of any risk. Okay, so that addresses the manslaughter charge that he's facing. Was there anything in these opening arguments that addressed the other firearms charges that Giannis is facing? His attorneys are arguing that he purposely fired away from Diamond Reynolds and her four-year-old daughter and that he took care to do this. So that addresses the dangerous discharge of the firearm. Was there a moment or a quote in all of this watching the defense's statements about how this case is going to go, how they're going to present this that really stood out to you? Sure. The defense at one point, the attorney said, this is a tragedy not only for the Castile family, but for Officer Yanez himself. But he said, just because it's a tragedy doesn't mean it's a crime. Thanks, John. All right. So we have the cases laid out. Uh, The prosecution is calling Officer Geronimo Yanez negligent and the defense is saying Philando Castile should have followed instructions. The prosecution then opened their case with two pieces of testimony today. They did. And first we heard from a teacher who works at J.J. Hill Elementary, the same school that Philando Castile worked at. They asked about what she knew about him and when she, how often she saw him. And she said she would see him in the lunchroom um, talking to the kids. She described him as laid back and calm, um, never saw him angry. Um, and the second witness was Diamond Reynolds, something that we didn't expect to see on the first day. Yeah, that seems another surprise that we would be hearing from her on the first day of this. In many ways, Diamond Reynolds has made this case what it is, right? If she had not shot the video in the car, millions of people wouldn't know who Philando Castile was. So what what did we hear from her today? Yeah, it was surprising to see her right away today. We haven't seen her in months, and she was calm and composed. She was wearing a black and white dress. She referred to Philando Castile as Phil multiple times, and she had to be corrected, and for the record, to say Mr. Castile or Castile. 
We heard more about her background and her relationship with Philando Castile. They introduced as evidence a picture of Philando Castile and her daughter at the Mall of America. It was on her daughter's birthday, and she teared up at this point when she saw that picture. She said Philando Castile was not her daughter's father, but he was like a father figure. Um, she said every morning he woke up, and before he went to work, he would make them breakfast. Okay, so they're they're having Diamond Reynolds kind of help paint this picture of who Philando Castile was and set up him as a guy who, you know, has this routine, a lot of stuff that we've heard before. You know, he goes to work. Um, he's dependable. He's the guy who makes breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, did they get into uh, his his experience with guns? Yeah, as part of that routine description, Diamond Reynolds talked about how every morning he takes his gun out of his safe and he puts it in his holster and he carries it with him out. He puts it in the glove box a lot of times, especially when he goes to school for work. Um, The prosecution then asked why Philando Castile carried a gun and she said it was for protection. They did live in a high crime area, as she described it. The prosecution also asked specifically if there were things that they did together. She said in the summer they went to police barbecues, which are sponsored by police departments across the city. And she was asked if Philando Castile had any animosity against police. And she said no. That's interesting. I don't think every city has these, but they are a thing in St. Paul where the police departments host these kind of community barbecues. Um, So when she was asked on the stand to name something that the two of them did together, that's... That's That's one of the things that she mentioned. That's interesting. Okay, so after kind of getting this picture of their life together, uh, she was starting to explain kind of hour by hour how July 6th unfolded. She did. She said she described the same routine that Philando Castile had been going through. He got up at 5 a.m. She got up a little bit after that. He got ready like he typically did. He took shower, made them breakfast. Um, And she said she saw him go to his car and put the gun in the glove box on that day as well. He left for work and she took her daughter to daycare in downtown St. Paul. Then she went to work herself at the dollar store. Okay, so she works at the dollar store. She spends all day there and then... Um, when does she meet back up with, with Philando Castile or what it, where does the rest of her day take her after that? Yeah, usually she said they would meet up after work around 2 o'clock, 2.15. That day she called him around 2 and he said he was getting his hair done for his birthday and told her not to rush him. Um, so she, her sister had met her at her job and they both went back to Diamond Reynolds' apartment and they smoked weed. They each smoked one cigarette. And after that, they went to pick up her daughter from daycare around 6.10 is what she said. Um, And that's where Philando Castile also met them after he was done around 6.20. So he picks up all of them at the daycare. He picks up Diamond Reynolds and her sister and Diamond Reynolds' daughter. And then where did they go? Yeah, then they all went to the grocery store and the prosecution introduced a receipt that showed Diamond Reynolds purchasing items at 8.27 p.m., and also a photo of her leaving the store at 8.30. And that's where testimony ended for the day. It did, yeah. And that's also kind of the end of what we know about that night so far. So there's nothing has been that new here, right? We knew that they went grocery shopping. We knew that he got his hair done that day. Uh, So her testimony, I assume, will pick back up tomorrow morning and will walk us through the shooting. Yeah, we expect to hear her talk more about what happened that night, especially what happened with the traffic stop. And we also expect to see the defense cross-examining her tomorrow as well. All right. Well, we will be back with you with continued trial updates as news breaks in the trial of Officer Geronimo Yanez. Thank you, John. Thank you, Reham. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. 
For full coverage on this trial, go to 74seconds.org or follow us on Twitter at 74SecondsMPR. This podcast is reported by John Collins and Reham Fashir. It's produced by me, Tracy Mumford, and Hans Buto, and edited by Meg Martin. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. 74 Seconds is a production of Minnesota Public Radio News and American Public Media. Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award-winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.